Almighty God, we are grateful that you are a God who loves us, who calls us according to your name. Lord, that you have um, good things planned for us and that your Holy Spirit is active in our lives. Pray that you, um, that you allow for these words that we've heard this morning to be seeds in our lives, to bear fruit uh, wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the movie, The Karate Kid. Uh, It's the story of this boy named Daniel who was picked on at school. And he goes to this new town in California and he gets beaten up by by some cooler, older guys. He's sort of scrawny. And after this really hard time, he meets this old Japanese man, Mr. Miyagi, who speaks in mysterious short sentences. Well, Mr. Miyagi tells him that he will teach him how to defend himself But when Daniel comes to his house to learn karate, Mr. Miyagi tells him to do all of these other chores instead. First, he asks Daniel to wax his car in a very specific pattern. Wax on, wax off. And then sand and paint a fence up and down with long movements of his wrist. Well, Daniel finally gets totally upset about this, right? He's been coming for days and days, and he's learned no karate. So he gets upset and confronts Mr. Miyagi, and the old man shows him that the waxing technique and the fence painting technique are both training his body to block attacks in karate. It was a win-win. He got some chores done, and Daniel learned how to defend himself. There's this moment when Daniel realizes that he actually had no idea what was going on for the last week. Well, he knew that he was waxing a car and painting a fence, but he didn't really know what was going on. Today, our focus will be on seeing everything in light of the resurrection, on understanding scripture, and in particular, our own lives through who Jesus is and what he continues to do in the world. The New Testament is a collection of letters and gospel stories. They're reflections of what the very first Christians were were thinking and doing and saying. And even more than that, the way that the first Christians saw and understood the whole story of Scripture, read the whole story of Scripture in light of Jesus. Through the whole history of Israel, God is making things new, and all of a sudden, when they read the Bible after what has happened in the resurrection, everything looks different. We know from the Gospels that the disciples were as confused as anyone around Jesus. And remember, the Gospels are really told by them, directly or indirectly. So when the Gospels comment on how thick-headed they are, that's the way they told their own story. When they looked back on being with Jesus, they realized that they were in a fog until the resurrection made clear so many things to them. In our Gospel story today, from Luke 24, this comes into pretty clear focus. Our story picks up in the middle of the chapter, and the scene is not so different from what it was in John's gospel last week. The disciples are behind locked doors, and Jesus walks in and shows them his physical body, which still bears the wounds of the cross. Now, in this account, he sits down and eats with them. Then he opens their minds, the scripture tells us, It opens their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written 
that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, you are witnesses, martyrs, of these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Which, of course, is Pentecost, which we'll celebrate in a few weeks. Earlier in chapter 24, we have one of my favorite passages in the Bible. The story of uh, the followers of Jesus who are walking along the road to Emmaus, and they're sad that Jesus has been crucified. And the resurrected Lord, just comically almost, comes up right next to them and walks with them for a little while, and they have no idea that it's him. And the text says that while they were walking with him, he opened the Torah, opened the scriptures and the prophets to them. And later, after recognizing him in the breaking of bread, they said, did not our hearts burn within us when he was explaining the scriptures to us. Jesus was explaining the scriptures. And then again in our text today, it says that he opened their minds to understand what the scriptures were saying. Now, fishermen, though they were, they would have been familiar with these scriptures of Israel. They knew the story, but they were quickly realizing they didn't know the whole story. They were learning that there was more going on than waxing a car or painting a fence when they walked with Jesus. He was preparing them to be witnesses, to tell the story of what God had done and was doing in Israel to the furthest reaches of the world in Jesus. And think about what an incredible thing that is. Jesus is opening their minds to understand the scriptures. He's teaching the meaning of the scriptures to them. He explained the scriptures concerning himself. And I'm a little frustrated (laughs) that they didn't record more of the details of that teaching ministry, right? Come on, Luke. When the resurrected Jesus sits down and explains scripture to you, you could have given us more than three sentences. But I think that's really what the whole New Testament is all about. It's this group of early Christians telling the story of Jesus in a way that leads us to understand the whole of what God has done in redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation. John is certainly doing that when he says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. Paul does this constantly in all of his letters. For those who have ears to hear, you can find Old Testament passages everywhere. When Paul tells the story of Israel in the wilderness, he says that Jesus was the rock out of which the living water flowed. And don't, I don't think that Paul was picturing Jesus in a rock costume with a squirt gun, right? I mean, he's picturing this grand narrative of what God has done and seeing that Christ was intimately present in the activity of God in the world. Even as water flowed from the side of Jesus on the cross, so also water gave life to the people who needed it most in the desert. And Jesus, Jesus is not new. He, he is the old understood in brand new light. The book of Hebrews does this incredibly well, um, reinterpreting the sort of understanding of the temple and sacrifice language. 
Jesus is not just a messenger of God. He is the message. In him, the whole of the story is revealed and interpreted rightly. They are witnesses to Jesus, but also witnesses to what God has already been doing in their midst. To the way that the world looks different on the other side of Easter Sunday. And at the end of this passage, Jesus promises that he will clothe them with ability. Dunamis, it means like power, ability. He is speaking, of course, of the Holy Spirit. And in our reading from Acts, we see what a difference this makes in the disciples. Once terrified and spineless, they go forth boldly, healing people, proclaiming in temples, being beaten, and of course, killed eventually, because of their witnessing to who Jesus is. But of course, this is not just true for the disciples. It's not just true for the disciples. All of us who call Jesus Lord can witness to what God has done and is doing through the Son in the power of the Spirit. And crucially, it should give us eyes to see the fullness of what God has done, not just in the story of Israel, though, of course, that's very, very important, but also in our own lives, in our own communities. In light of the resurrection, we can recognize that Jesus was with Israel in the wilderness, and he is with us in the various places of wilderness in our own world. Through the Spirit, we find him remembered in his members assembling and his body each week. And in light of the resurrection, we can start to recognize the work of God in our lives when we did not expect it or look for it. His power to redeem painful experiences, his unperceived presence, we can only understand while looking backwards. The the Holy Spirit helps us to read our own lives individually and communally, and see the presence of God in each chapter of it. This is not to say that God has orchestrated each event in our lives. Indeed, many things are the results of sin in the world. But we can start to see that there are places where God is both purposing good, sometimes difficult goods that we don't like in our lives, and that God is also repurposing things that were meant for evil, but God brings about good through, such as Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers right at the, in Genesis 50. All throughout Scripture, God calls, equips, and purposes his good in the lives of people. The Lord calls Abraham out of Ur. He brings Moses out of exile and back into Egypt to lead his people. He blinds Paul on the road to Damascus. And in each one of these cases, it must have been strange and scary to be the person involved. Can you imagine Paul being blinded for three days, having no idea if his sight's going to come back, no idea what's going on in his life? And we often feel that way. We often feel blind to God in the middle of the story. It's only in retrospect does everything look clearer and more simple on the other side of Easter. But the Lord does not just orchestrate the good for us, though he often does. He also repurposes and redeems even the most broken, painful, and sinful parts of our lives and world. 
In this resurrection account, Jesus shows him his hands and his feet. Now, this account does not say uh, that the scars are there, just like John does. But the fact that he is trying to show them that it is indeed him, and he points to the two places in his body that would have been most clearly marked by the crucifixion as proof of his identity suggests that the scars are there, and Luke is thinking about them. Can you think of another reason why somebody would say, it's really me, here, look at my feet or my hands. Those marks or wounds on the body of the resurrected Jesus offer us a model for understanding the redemptive work of the Lord in our own bodies and lives. The people who put those nail marks there were not being pious. As Luke notes in chapter 19, they have no idea what they are doing, and they have need for forgiveness for doing it. Simply put, the Lord was pleased that the Son submits to the cross, but the violence and rejection of the Son of God are sins of the people. In the same way, there is nothing in our lives that is beyond the ability of God to restore and heal. But won't be able, but we often will not be able to see that in the middle. We are like Mary, the mother of Jesus, looking on Christ on the cross, wondering, how in the world, Lord, how in the world could you let this happen? There's no way that this is the way things are supposed to be going down. Blind. Several times uh, in this year together, we have discussed the nature of evil and sin. Sin isn't a thing itself. It's the privation of the good. It's the twisting, manipulation, destruction of the things that God has created and purposed for himself. Like osteoporosis in a bone. Sin isn't something to make light of. It's infectious and insidious. However, sin isn't creative in the same way that God is. And that is evil's ultimate downfall. God is infinitely creative. He is the creator after all. So creative that God, the Lord, can take the broken shards of things left and designed by evil and recreate them into something even more beautiful than they were before. And this is an important point. Sometimes when we are suffering, we are tempted to think that God is punishing us for something that we did wrong. God loves us and he disciplines us so that we might be forged into his image, but we should not make God the author of evil in our lives, even if he uses those evil things to bring about beautiful good things in their wake. And that, that is what I want to argue it means for us to be witnesses to Jesus. We witness to what God has done in Jesus, and we recognize him as Lord and uh and have that lordship suffuse all of scripture and all of our lives to tell our stories in such a way that we can't tell our story without telling the story of Jesus in our lives. When we read our own lives in light of the resurrection, we can see the presence of Christ everywhere, both purposing and repurposing things. And it gives us hope. It gives us tremendous hope in the midst of our current suffering that even when things are not clear, that we can be assured of God's goodness 
and creative presence in our lives. God knows what he's doing, just like Mr. Miyagi. We are about to announce the new rector. And I believe hearing the rector search team story will help all of us see with far greater detail the way that the Lord has been powerfully present to us this year. It is something that we can all rejoice in. It is something that we can celebrate together. And it is the continued witness of this church and each of us to look back on our lives and to read them in light of what Jesus has accomplished on Easter. Pray with me. Lord, we are we're so grateful. We're grateful for your faithfulness to this church. We're grateful for the way that you've been faithful for each and every one of us. Lord, we, uh, we so often are blind. Uh, we so often are unable to, to read and see uh, the way that you are active in our life. And yet, Lord, you are powerfully present to us. And so, Lord, we ask that you, uh, that you lead us and you guide us and help open our minds to your presence and your purposes, just like you opened the minds of these disciples uh, in Luke 24. We pray this in Jesus' name.